0: Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So, now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. What's going on people? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Voice. My name is Aaron and this is a classic. This is somebody who I actually reached out to, I'd say about six months ago, and it was following a news article that I've seen that they were mentioned in. Now, they were mentioned in this news article for how they turned their life around, and that's kind of the stories that I really love to hear, but I need to make sure that the listeners, i.e. yourselves, you're going to get something tangible from this and you're going to get some life lessons. And let me tell you, you're certainly going to get some life lessons. Now, maybe many of us can't relate to the way that this person was brought up or some of the stuff that he did. And I think he's held his hands up and he said, I've made a lot of stupid mistakes. But more importantly than that, if you listen to his story, there's a few moments, and we touch on it halfway through the interview, where He was getting signs, he was getting opportunities, he was getting people coming into his life, giving him the chance to potentially turn it around. And I thought that was a really important part of the story because I think even ourselves in life, we sometimes get opportunities. But because we're so blinkered or our mindset isn't thinking the right way or our perception isn't right, we sometimes miss these opportunities. And we spoke a little bit about self-belief and confidence and just having a vision and I think that's so so important. Myself for example, I have some crazy visions but what I've realised is by having these and expressing them to the world and being accountable, I'm seeing more opportunities come my way and I'm not saying these opportunities weren't there previously but because my thoughts and my processes of how I would interpret things were different, I just wasn't taking advantage of them. So Fair play to this person, he's done an absolutely fantastic job in turning his life around. He was very close to almost having no life so I'm very grateful that he made that step when he did. I'm very grateful that he also took time to share his story because he's going places. Um, Remember his name, he will certainly be, I think a household name very, very soon simply because his story is one that you can't replicate. You've either lived it or you haven't. And this guy has lived it. So without further ado, we're going to jump straight into this interview with Hezron Brown. Okay, people. So thank you for tuning into the show today. And I am honoured to have Hezron Brown here with me today. So firstly, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your day today, buddy. No problem. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I believe you were working as well
1: today. Is that right? No, no. Well, I wasn't working. I was, I was more kind of concentrating on myself, um, okay. building up myself today, yeah. That's still
0: kind of working, I suppose. Okay, fantastic. Um, What I want to do is, obviously, I've given an introduction prior to this show about your life and a little bit about your story, but I think it's important for the listeners to really understand you and hear it more from yourself. So if you wouldn't mind, if you could just kind of give a whole backstory, go into as much detail as you want, and just really try and let the audience and
1: myself get to know Hezron Brown. Yeah, that's not a problem at all. So for me, it all kind of started when I was five years old. I Mm -hmm. fell in a bath of boiling hot water and burnt the upper right-hand side of my body, so my arm, my chest, and my stomach. I actually had a jumper on at that time, and when I fell in the water, all of my skin had melted over my jumper. And when my mum came up, she ripped my my jumper off out of panic. And because of that, she ripped all my skin off. So all the skin that's actually on the upper right-hand side of my body is actually from my legs. Um, I had various skin grafts. I was in hospital for numerous months, um, getting all those skin grafts to kind of correct, correct, obviously, what had happened. Oh, wow. Um, But at that time, you know, when I uh, started going to primary school, kids couldn't understand why I looked the way I did. Mm, mm. And because of that reason, they started to call me names, started to bully me. So from there, I I developed a really bad anger problem. Mm -hmm. It was something that I couldn't control. Okay. It, and I would just get angry at every single little thing um, and it got to the point where it was just literally out of control to and from school I was always fighting I was fighting in school as well mm-hmm. and I think for me the reason why I developed that temper was because I didn't want anybody to call me names again I didn't want to feel weak again and I kind of said to myself I'm never going to let that happen to me again. And because of that, my rage and my temper just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Wow. Um, Even though it was affecting me at school, it was affecting me at home as well. And okay. my relationship with my mum, you know, my mum was a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of five children. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was difficult for my mum to actually kind of deal with what I was bringing home. Right. And, There was times when I was getting so angry, I was throwing my wardrobe down the stairs, punching holes in doors, breaking windows, you know, like it it was getting out of control. A lot of the time, my mum would have to call the police because I was getting that enraged that she was scared for my own safety and she was probably scared for her own safety as well.
0: Of course. Was this around, did you say, 11 years old at
1: this point? Yeah, yeah, when I was 11.
0: That's quite a young age, isn't it, to be displaying so much anger?
1: Yeah, it is, it is. This is what I mean, like, my temper was just, yeah, it was, it was uncontrollable. And it got to the point where I would literally black out. So I wouldn't even know what I would actually be doing or mm-hmm. what I was doing until I actually came back around. And it's like the only way I could com- the only way I could calm down was if I punched something. Not someone, just something, right? I could just go and punch a door or punch a wall or, you know, punch some glass and mm-hmm. immediately my temper would go immediately. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was, it was, it was quite bad. It was quite bad. Um, so as I said, like my, my home life wasn't that good with my mom. Um. She kicked me out that time as well. And I went and lived with one of my older sisters. You know, having to travel to school every single day from Tamworth because she lived in Tamworth and having to travel from Tamworth to Eddington every single day on the mm-hmm. bus in the morning. Yeah, it was a difficult time. But the relationship that me and my mum had was I would go home, she would kick me out. I would go back home, she would kick me out again. That was that was always our right. relationship. Um, so a lot of the time I knew kind of what was going to happen when I went back home. I knew I was going to get kicked out again, but that's where my home was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I always wanted to go back. Okay. So there was getting to the points where my mum kept kicking me out. I was sofa surfing. I was going to I was going to friends' houses, staying with them. Um, they knew the situation that you know I was in, and knew that I had these anger problems. Knew the kind of relationship that I had with my mum And yeah, like when I was kind of going through school, school was trying to help me. The teachers were trying to help me as well. For those that knew. Um, you know, they were they were trying to better me. They were trying to get that temper out of me. They were putting me through um, counsel, through counselling, putting me through anger management. But nothing really worked. Nothing really worked. And when I was 13, so my mum kicked me out again. I went mm-hmm. and lived with one of my friends, mm-hmm. uh, an amazing woman. Her name is Yvonne okay. And she literally just took me in off the street. I was homeless and I went to her house. And I actually went to her house to actually see her son, okay, and after speaking to me for like a minute, she could see that something was wrong in me, she could see that I was struggling in some form of way, and she invited me inside she gave me a she gave me a hot drink, and she said to me, "Tell me what's going on with you right now." Hmm. so I did I told her what situation I was in, and like that, she took me into her home wow. she she literally made me part of the family every time when we was out if she saw someone that she knew she would tell them that i was her adopted son oh, wow. yeah it was yeah she was she, she's an amazing woman she's an amazing woman i lived with her until i actually finished school
0: can i just ask um so you you found Yvonne and God bless her soul. She sounds like a wonderful lady. And you said things were obviously she was introducing you as part of the family. You felt at home. How did, how was your anger at this particular time then? Did you find that you were able to control it or was it still still you were still getting flares of anger?
1: I actually wasn't getting angry when I was with her. Okay. I think it was just due down to the respect that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never get angry with her. But maybe if I was like still going to school, I was getting angry when I was at right. school. But I was never getting angry around her. Okay, that's Because how I seen it was, I can't disrespect this person. Mm. This person has literally took me from off the street into her own home. And I had just this deep respect for her and her whole family. Up until this day, you know, I still see her. I call her mum. My children call her nan. Um, you know, her brothers, her sisters, I call them uncle, auntie. Like, I see her family as my family. So that respect has never It's it's never gone away. I love that. It's never gone away. I love it. Um, So, yeah, she she, she took me in and kind of went through school life there, living at her house. My mum actually found out where I was. Now, Yvonne actually lives around the corner from my Mm mum. And it took her near enough two years to actually come round to the house to come and get me. And Yvonne gave me the choice. She said, well, you can either go home or you can stay here and mm-hmm. continue to live the life that you're living. Mm-hmm. But even though I was there when she took me in, I always had this feeling that I needed to go home and that that wasn't my home. So I took up on myself to go back home and live with my mom. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, she kicked me out again right. and I was back on the street and I went and lived with my older sister, I was sleeping on her floor. One of my older other sister's. Um, and I was sleeping on her floor. She lived in a flat. She had two kids at that time, my nephew and my niece. And they kept see, seeing me sleeping on the floor. They kept mm-hmm. coming in asking her, you know, why is Uncle Hezron just sleeping on the floor? Mm-hmm. And I think she got to the point where she just wanted to, you know, she just didn't want them seeing that anymore. And I, to be fair, I didn't want them seeing me in that in that position. Yeah. So she came up to me and she said, Hezron, there's a neighborhood office at the bottom of her flat. So there was a neighborhood office at the bottom of her flat. And she asked me to go in there and just tell them what my situation was and see what they could actually do for me. So I went down there and I, I spoke to them. I remember when I, I stepped through the door, I had six black bags, three in each hand, full of clothes. Mm-hmm. And I literally just collapsed on my knees when I, when I stepped through the door. And I just broke down into tears because... I think it was that realization of knowing that I actually had nothing and I had no one around me that Mm. was actually truly supporting me. And it's like, I kind of felt like I was a burden um, to, to, to my family. And I remember this woman came running up to me and she said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, I told her, I said, you know, I haven't got nowhere to go. There's, There's no one around me that, that can look after me. And she said, okay, what, there's no family or friends. I said, Nope, there's, 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 there's no one around. It's just you. It's just me. And she sat me down in the chair and she said, okay, well, I'm going to try and sort something out for you. So she got me a bed and breakfast. I stayed in that bed and breakfast for about two months. Now I was, I had just finished school. Yeah. So I finished Mm. my exams. I never, I never left with no, with no grades, like none at all. Mm -hmm. And at this point when I was staying in that bed and breakfast, now through that time I was having to source money on my own, um, food, mm, all the mm. things that I needed to live on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And
1: because because I was so young, the so I went to the job centre and they they said to me, Oh, there's actually, there's actually they don't they didn't know how they could help me because I was yeah, so young. Of course. Um and it, it took them quite a while for them to actually give me some money. So I actually ended up going on to income support. Okay, um, and they kind of they backdated me, but throughout that whole time, I was trying to find ways to support myself, and it was quite hard. Um, even down to college, like education, um, no college wanted to accept me because I never had no grades. Of course, I actually wanted to do IT. That was something that I was passionate about at that time, mm-hmm. and they they said to me, because you haven't got any grades, there's there's no real way that you can start an IT course because of the 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 level of entry that you needed. I eventually found a college that would accept me. Um, it was Matthew Bolton College. And they were saying, and they said to me, okay, cool. Like, we can't put you on an IT course straight away. Mm-hmm. But if you do this course and this course, that yeah. will make up the grades that you need to get in onto the IT course. So I said, okay. Like, for me, it was just anything. Like, any, just something to occupy my mind, something to take my mind off what I was yeah. going through at that time. The council had found me a accommodation as well it found me a temporary accommodation in Hockley so I was like okay like you know things were kind of starting to look back up uh, the job center they put me on income support so I was starting to get money in I found education I'd got my own place so at that time I felt like everything was going great that everything was going in the right in the right kind of order
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when I was at college that's when things started to get a bit kind of like off track right I would you know, skip lessons. I was being in the common room all the time, trying to hang out with friends. I had met loads of new people that, you know, I didn't know before. Um, And then that started to obviously play an impact on my education. Mm. I finished out my first year. It was a two year course I was on. I've done done media and photography Mm -hmm. and I've completed my first year. Mm-hmm. went onto another course with media photography which was a two-year long course and on the first day I started I had an argument with my tutor over a can of coke um, and again I lost my temper I was there swearing I was punching things um, and the the head of the college was actually walking down the path at the time I was actually losing my temper Worst timing ever. <laughs> the worst timing ever, and they phoned security. Security came upstairs, got me, and escorted me out of the college. So at this point now, I've got my own place. Money's coming in, but I've got no education, and I'm kind of just dusting around, doing nothing. And then that's when things started spiraling out of control. I started, you know, going to parties. I started hanging around with people that I shouldn't hang around with. They started influencing me. And even though I knew what I was doing was wrong, like there was no one really around me to say to me, Hezron, stop doing that. Or Hezron, don't do that.
0: Or show you a better way, I suppose. Or show me a
1: better way. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly it. Show me a better way. Hmm. Um, So I just continued to stay on the path that I was on. I started doing a lot of foolish things. I was you know, committing robberies. I was walking around with weapons. I was i was doing a lot of silly things okay um and when i was doing these things i kind of i kind of never had no remorse like i was just like again i was just doing it to survive you know i was selling drugs as well and i was just doing it to survive i was doing it to try and make money um and again as you said there was no one really around me to 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 push me away from it and put me on a better path
0: can i just jump in there just quickly i mean i've got so i've got so many questions because it's such a fascinating story your relationship with yvonne now has has that completely broken down at this stage or is it or is it a matter of you feel you can't go back there now or
1: oh no 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 um if, if yvonne she's as i said like she's still a mother figure to me
0: okay so she wasn't she was always still there
1: oh yeah, yeah yeah she she was always still there but again it, it kind of felt like to me like i couldn't go back there does that make sense
0: yeah absolutely and- at this stage, was you, was you taking accountability for anything or was it just, you know, the world just dealt you shit cards and you'll just carry on doing what you need to do to get by?
1: That's exactly it. Mm. The world was dealing me this hand that mm. I didn't really, you know... Um,
0: you didn't ask for it, but you've got it. And I, just I didn't play ask it. for it
1: and I've got it and, mm. and I'm just rolling with it. And mm. that's just kind mm. of what it got to. It got to the point where I was just rolling with it. Mm. And as you said, like, for me, my temper my temper has always got me into bad situations. Like literally, like even till now, even up until this point, like my temper has always got me into situations. Um, and I know it's because of my temper and there's so many things that, you know, I try and do to try and help me deal with my temper. But when it comes up, I I can't explain to you. I literally just have no control. I literally have no control. Um, and it's only when people see me angry that they go, wow, like you've actually got a really mm. bad temper. Mm. And it's, it's, it's hurtful really. You know, it's, it's, it's hurtful to hear that, to hear that you've got this thing that you can't control. Yeah. And even though you do so much things to try and control it, you can't. Mm. And it's hard. And especially when you know that this thing is getting you into trouble, it's ruining relationships, it's ruining opportunities. It's not um, serving you. It's not serving me any it's not serving me any purpose but you know what I say that and it, it, it's, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing because times when you know I was when I nearly got kidnapped it was my anger that kept me alive being able to fend for myself being able to fight back that's what that's what kept me alive and so as much as I kind of hate my temper I also love it because I'm able to protect myself in a way that someone else can't protect me does that make sense
0: uh it does yeah absolutely it does make sense it's interesting isn't it because i suppose in hindsight you'd rather not have the temper but oh percent. as you've got it you've kind of managed to harness it at least to give you some sort of advantage um definitely. or at least help you in some situations if that makes sense so yeah yeah definitely okay so you're now saying you're spiraling out of control. What are you thinking? Like I'm just trying to get into your
1: head at this, at this
0: particular moment now. What are you thinking? Is the future of Hezron Brown? The future
1: of Hezron Brown. I actually <laughs> didn't know what the future of Hezron Brown was. Mm. As I said to you, I was just this person that was rolling with it. Mm-hmm. So one would mm-hmm. say, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about my future. I wasn't thinking about my loved ones. I was just thinking. How am I going to get by? How am I going to survive?
0: And how did that change then? And when did it change?
1: Well, it, it changed when I got done for a robbery charge. Okay. I got done for this robbery charge and it wasn't, it wasn't, even, it wasn't even a robbery like that. Mm-hmm. And as they grabbed my friend, I hit that person. When he was on the floor, which I never even realised because I actually walked off at that point. But when he was actually on the floor, someone rubbed him someone took his stuff now when the police came they, they 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 picked me up and when they when I was in the station they they turned around to me and they said oh uh, you've you've robbed this boy's stuff and this that do and I was like no and they said oh um do you know what kind of damage you've done um and I was like whoa and the policeman looked at me and he said you did not punch him you hit him with something and I said no I actually punched him mm-hmm and went, if you've been able to do that kind of damage from a punch, that's scary. And I was like, I actually never even realised even done that because I walked off. And when it got to court, uh, they decided to do me for the robbery charge. So not for the assault. Okay. Yes, they, they, they decided to do me for robbery. Um, and I got found guilty of this robbery. Now, I had to go for my pre-sentencing report. And when I went there, I stepped through the door and this black lady, she came up to me and she said, are you my next appointment? Mm. I went, I, I don't know. She went, mm-hmm. what's your name? I said, Hezron Brown. Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, yeah, you're my next appointment. And she turned and she looked at me and she said, she tutted and she, mm. she said, not another black man. That was, right. the, that was the thing that she said to me. And from there, I thought, wow, like, mm. OK, mm. like how much? how much have you sinned today? You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. She took me into a room and she said to me, tell me everything, just tell me the whole situation. Mm. So I did, I told her everything. I told her what had happened. And she looked at me and she said, okay, leave it with me. I'm going to try and help you. And I was like, okay, I don't know how you're going to try and help me, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it, you know, as I do. And the night before my sentencing, I remember sitting there thinking, I'm going to jail. Like, mm. I am going to jail, mm. yeah? And my solicitor was saying to me, you know, Hezron, you're facing years in prison for this. Like, it's not like a like a month or anything like that. He was like, you, you're facing years. Mm. <laughs> so I was sat there the night before and I, I I actually bought myself a KFC and I bought myself a McDonald's. And I just sat there eating all these different random types <laughs> of things. Your last I had meal. some burger, I had some yeah. chicken. It was literally like the yeah. last supper. It's like mm. if someone said to you, what would the last meal be? That'd like be That's it. what it, that's basically what it looked like. I had mm. Big Mac, I had a piece of chicken, mm-hmm. I had some chips. I had, you know, I wanted everything that I knew that I would miss. Mm. And it was crazy, like that feeling of thinking, I'm actually going to prison. Like, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's hard to describe what that feeling is actually like. Knowing that you're going to see the outside world again maybe for a considerable amount of time
0: just on that sorry um i mentioned yeah. it in one of my early episodes um i worked in a prison for six months oh and, okay and just working there mate it was draining like mentally because i was seeing i've seen good people i mean i believe we're all good but sometimes we do bad things and um, some more than others yeah, and there was were some people in there who if i met them on the streets or something i just think they're just normally just nice people and when you see how little time they get with their friends and their family and how restricted their life is in prison it was so like heartbreaking and sad and it was after that experience i was like i am never getting on the wrong side of the law Mm -hmm. because i'm not Mm going to give away my freedom and when you're in prison you they kind of just take that away from you so yeah i I can imagine how you must have been feeling at that point
1: yeah and i think i think that's something that's important something that that you actually just said it's not that someone's bad it's just that they just do something bad at that time
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and you
1: know a lot of these a lot of the guys that are in there a lot of the women that are in there they're actually good people but mm. they've just done something bad just made a bad choice
0: or a bad decision just made a bad um, choice yeah and i, and I always look at that i always think i think you know how we look at say for instance we look at a celebrity for example and we think oh, it's easy for them but we forget all the sacrifices and everything that they've put in beforehand like Definitely. the whole the whole process and it's the same with somebody who ends up on the wrong side of the law we forget that they might have actually been trying to sort themselves out or Definitely. just not getting a break in life and then sometimes something comes up and something happens and they've, they've acted the wrong way which in hindsight m- most of the people that i've spoken to especially in prison wouldn't have done again whereas you get some people who are just literally straight up crazy yeah they
1: are straight up criminals but like generally
0: speaking it is that and it, i'll be honest i used to be quite judgmental and think people don't change Mm. again that was just my limiting belief and now speaking with people interviewing people especially like yourselves and seeing that you're able to do the amazing things which we're going to talk about shortly it fills me with like joy and like happiness and also like hope and Mm. you know having that sense of hope that we can create a better world we can create a better community and yeah we definitely can i always feel when somebody's been at rock bottom they can offer so much more somebody like yourself who's Been on the brink of like you said you could have been stabbed for example and he could have hit you in an artery or something and boom you're gone there is no more hezron brown absolutely at the same situation you could have been in the wrong place and hurt somebody else and their life and their future is finished so i'm grateful that that hasn't happened
1: yeah yeah so um i went for my sentencing i remember sitting in the dock i was sat there i had the the police um, officer standing next to me or the, the guard standing next to me and while mm-hmm. I was sat in the dock and the judge came in and she, she said, Hezron Brown, stand up. And I stood up and she said, I was actually going to sentence you this morning. This was her, word. this was her words to me. Mm-hmm. And even up until this point, I still have not forgotten. She said, I was going to sentence you this morning, but your pre-sentencing report was glowing. She said, I don't know what you did
0: mm-hmm.
1: or who you spoke to. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to give you another chance. Wow! And the feeling I got inside, my heart just, my heart just, my heart just sunk. Second chance. That's you know that second chance. Mm, mm. And I, it literally reduced me to tears, and I was just in the dark, just crying my eyes out while this woman's talking to me and telling me what she's what she's actually going <laughs> to sentence me to. But I actually just didn't care about what she was sentencing me yeah. to because I knew I wasn't going to prison. Yeah. But then at the same time, I thought to myself, I've just wasted like 20 pounds on a McDonald's and KFC. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, thinking that I was getting my last meal when actually I'm not. <laughs> there goes a the six pack. <laughs> yo, yo, you know, you know what you could have done with that 20 pound? Exactly. <laughs> my gosh, my but, gosh. But, you know, like I was still grateful. Mm-hmm. So she gave me a two year suspended sentence. Mm-hmm. She gave me 280 hours of community service mm-hmm. and a 480 pound fine. Mm-hmm. Now this two year suspended sentence was something that made me was was one of the reasons why I had to change there mm. wasn't I never had a choice I had mm. to change because mm-hmm. what that 2 year suspended sentence meant was that if I had done anything in that time at any point if the police is being called and mm. I'm involved or if I'm there I'm automatically getting sent to prison and my actual sentence will get activated that's how they put it to me so they kind of scared me, obviously, yeah, in that because in yeah. that, that. I'm, I'm thinking, no way am I going to be put in a situation where I'm going to prison. So that started to slowly change my mentality. Um, I had a son, a son on the way as well.
0: Mm.
1: I had a child on the way. Now, the relationship broke down with his mum and I actually ended up taking her to court to actually mm-hmm. see my son. Now, this was a battle that lasted, in total, it's been seven years. Now, my other partner at that time, she turned around to me and she said, you know, Hezron, you, you need to better your life. Your, your son can't grow up thinking, you know, that you was a gang member and that you done all these bad things. She said, you need to prove what you're capable of. Yeah, I love that. When she said that to me, it really made me, it made mm. me think about the future. I think that was the first time I actually really thought about the future. I I can't be this person that I was before just you know doing all these bad things I I I have to change there isn't a there isn't a choice I have to I have to yeah and she was being able to get me into courses so I done a parenting course I done a health and safety I done food mm. safety I done um I done my IT level 1 2 and 3
0: Fantastic.
1: I redid my English and maths oh man, I went in, I've done customer service <laughs> skills. Yeah, I've done I employability skills. I, I, just, I just tried to build myself up to a point where no one could turn around and say, mm. well, you know, you, you're this bad person. It sounds like it was something that happened in like a month's time mm-hmm. or it happened in like two months time. And I'm saying, yeah, I've got this qualification and this qualification and this qualification. It took me years.
0: Yeah. It yeah. took
1: me years to get all that done but I was proud when I got it done.
0: You should be because that process of you developing yourself and your mind and picking up all these skills that can never be
1: taken away from you. Can never be taken away, never be taken away.
0: And I, and I try and say this to people because maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's my age. I can look back a little bit, but sometimes we spend our time trying to pick up materialistic things and stuff and we're not training our mind. Um, we're not. And that's the most important thing. And, you know, I'm proud of you for that. Well done. And I think that, and, and the best you. thing with that is, it's taking you two years and, I'm kind of glad it's taken you two years because now you know how hard it is. And I suppose you can appreciate the skills and skilling up and stuff. So fair play to you, Oh, yeah,
1: 100%. Like, 100%. um, Because throughout that time, you know, I've never had a job before. I'd never had a job before at this point. Up until the age of 22, I'd never had a job. Wow. I was just living off the system and I was on road, as one would put it. I was on road. You know, when you walk around in the street and you see that hooded person walking around, that was me. (laughs) That was me. Mm. Um, (laughs) Day and night, that was me. Wow. So, you know, I've gone from that person to now, Mm. as you said, upskilling myself, training my mind, training myself to be a better person. And what was actually a really big turnaround for me was one day I was sat in my flat and I said to one of my friends, I said, you know what, I need to change. I sat down with my friend and I said to him, I said, you know, why, why do we do these things? Like, you know, why do we, <laughs> yeah. why do we actually do these things, bro? And he, he looked at me and he, he turned to me and he said, well, we have to, we need to do it. And from there I thought, nah, I, I can survive in a different way. I don't need to be creating heartache and mm. committing, you know, crimes to, you know what I mean? To get, to get, mm, to get by. Yeah, yeah. And I actually turned to him and I said, You know what? Tomorrow I'm gonna to change my clothes. And he said, What do you mean you're gonna change your clothes? I said, I'm gonna change my clothes. Because at that time I was always wearing black. As I said, I was that person that you see on the street yeah, yeah. with their hood up. You know, everything that I had was You were basically fitting the stereotype. The stereotype, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um And as I said, everything I had was black, down to my socks, down to my boxers were black. Yeah? (laughs) Not even a joke. Everything was black. Yeah? Yeah. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to go H&M and I'm going to buy myself Mm. some light colored clothes. Mm. And he started laughing at me. And I was like, what are you laughing for? Mm. And he said, ah, Hezon, you're not going to go and do that. That gave me the motivation that I needed. Mm. The next Mm. day I woke up. I woke up early. Got myself a shower. And I went to town and I went and bought a white top, blue mm-hmm. jeans. I actually came out wearing the clothes and I put my black clothes in a bag and I was sat at the bus stop and this old lady came up to me and she just started randomly talking to me, telling me about her whole day mm-hmm. or what she was going to do for the day, telling me about her grandkids, telling me about her kids, <laughs> wow. telling me what she had planned. Now, when I actually mention this story to people, they, they, they always laugh because they don't see that as a big thing but for me that was a big thing because that has never happened before i'm not
0: saying she wouldn't but would she have spoken to you or would you have even been in a place that was approachable
1: if you were dressed how you address yeah absolutely but exactly so and when i i remember the whole journey she was speaking to me on the bus because she was on she was coming she was on the same bus that i was on i remember the whole journey i was just smiling to myself smiling (laughs) i love it and i got off the bus and i went to my flat and i just sat there and i was just smiling to myself and my friend came round to my house and he said, Oh, yo, you've done it. You've I said, it. Of course I've done it. Yeah. I said, Don't ever doubt me. Because mm. when I say something, when I say I'm gonna do something, I'll do it. Mm. And I've always stuck to that motto. If I say that I'm gonna do something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'll do mm-hmm. it. As I said, when that old lady spoke to me, that really changed me. It made me it made me realize that actually I wasn't a bad person. Mm. That I was I was just, as you said, making bad choices. Can
0: I just touch on what you just said there? So you just said something firstly that I wasn't a bad person. So somewhere along your life in your journey you had this belief that you were a bad person because maybe society told you you were a bad person or the decisions you made. There's a very strong thing and I, and I try and say this to a lot of people is we are the story that we tell ourselves. So if you consistently keep telling yourself that you're a bad person, somewhere along the line you're going to start acting like a bad person. You're going to you're going to find your way to almost fit the narrative. A bit like definitely. myself when I used to say I was shy and anxious, one, I was I was pretty shy and anxious. But two, I'd almost get myself out of situations where I could grow and become a person mm. not shy and anxious, if that makes sense. So Yeah, 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 definitely. It's weird because you've you've touched on three three ladies now who have really come at pivotal points in your life so you had Yvonne Mm. initially then you had the lady who took your appointment and she said not another black man and then you've got this third lady who just come on a bus and it's almost like somebody sending
1: you a message all the time yeah it's like again it's those subtle messages that people Mm. actually ignore that actually are the the things that change your life
0: if you allow them to and if you accept it
1: if you allow them to and if you accept it and it's exactly it's 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 that simple because you could you could have I could have seen that in, in in a different way you know but I didn't and I decided to see in the way that I did, that, that these people are trying to change my life. And that's mm. how it's bettered me. And that's why I've decided to change. Well, that's I, like I did decide to change. Getting back to the story of when I was actually at court for my son or when I got all of those qualifications. I remember I went to court and I literally slapped it down on the table. Like I literally slapped it down like it was like it was a movie or something. And I was <laughs> just like, try and stop me from seeing my son. Like that's that's all I said. And the judge looked at me and he said, we actually can't stop you now. Like, we, we mm. can't stop you from seeing your son. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Um, and it was a good feeling to know that, you know, I had achieved all of those things for my son. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I ended up winning the court case. So that was one of the real like, pivotal reasons why I decided to change. Mm. But yeah, like from there, I just didn't, I didn't decide to stop. You know, I didn't just think to myself, okay, like I've won the court case now. I don't need to better myself no more. I don't need to enhance my life no more. I'm just mm. gonna chill. Like I never done that. I still decided to keep moving forward, keep progressing.
0: Fantastic. Um,
1: and and it was quite funny, yeah, because mm. when I was doing the voluntary work, um, there was people coming up to me saying, "Why are you actually working in here? Like, there is no <laughs> reason for why you need to be working in yeah. here." And I said, "I'm doing it to better myself. Like, I'm doing it. I love you know, it." i'm just doing it for myself and i was there for two months two to three Mm -hmm. months i was there for Mm -hmm. doing the voluntary work every day i was dressing in a suit don't Mm. ask me why i was Mm. just dressing in a suit just because swagged out (laughs) swagged out but imagine i'm in i'm in the british heart foundation and i'm dressed in a suit (laughs) you know know what i mean like and that's what i say people just got to understand why but again Mm. it was all because of my mentality i wanted to have a different mentality Mm. and what was actually interesting was that they actually took me, they signed me off from the job centre and signed me onto Pertemps. And it was for like those people that really wanted to find the mm. job. And it was them that actually got me involved with the Prince's Trust. So one day I, I went in and I to my advisor and I asked him, I said, oh, is there, is there anything going on? Is there anything happening? Is there any jobs available? Mm. And he turned to me and he said, oh, there's, there's no jobs or anything like that. But there's a thing with the Prince's Trust. It's called Get Started in Theatre. And I was like, okay. I was like, what is it? He was like, it's not a job. It's like a course. I was like, okay. And he was like, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to do it because it's more like a confidence building course. But Mm -hmm. he was like, Hezron, you know, you've already got confidence. So you don't really need to do that course. And I don't think that they will accept you. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, put me on it. I said, even if I don't get accepted onto it, Mm-hmm. Put me on it anyway. I'll go. I'll see what they say. If they accept me, then they do. If they don't, then, oh, well, it's just another one of those things. Mm-hmm. So we did. He put me on it. It was at the Birmingham Rep Theatre where it was being held. So I went to the Birmingham Rep Theatre, had like a little open day for it, a little taste of day, a little workshop. So I had done that. I They had then put me onto the course. And when I was on this course, I sat down and I said to myself, I am going to commit 100%. That was it. That was it. I just said, I'm going to commit 100%. I'm going to say hello to every single person. I'm going to be the last person to leave and I'm going to be the first person there. That's what I said to myself. And I stuck to it. It got to the point where people were, were asking who I was because I kept saying hello to random people. <laughs> I, was, I was walking around the Birmingham Theatre just, saying, just, just being like, hello, morning, yeah hello, Love it. morning, morning. And people couldn't understand why I just kept saying morning and hello. But that got the attention of people in the Birmingham Rep Theatre. And I ended up doing the course. So at the end of it, we had to perform a play um, outside the Rep Theatre. We had to market it ourselves. We had to create posters. We had to do the play ourselves. And we ended up doing this play and... A guy from the West End came and the directing manager of the rep was there as well. His name was Steve Board. And after when it had finished, everyone was getting their awards. And he, when everyone was getting their awards for completing the course, the guy turned around from the West End and he said, oh, where's Hezron Brown? Where is he? So I've stepped forward and he said, I'm actually a talent scout. And I would like you to play a part on the West End and I was like what so obviously everyone's (laughs) there everyone's there applauding everyone's clapping but while they're doing that I'm standing there baffled thinking I'm not an actor like and I actually said that to him and he was like you've actually got talent he said you might not know it but you have um he actually (laughs) he wanted me to play Donkey in Shrek (laughs) I love it yeah 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 I was just like okay yeah cool okay um (laughs) But I said to him, you know, I haven't got no experience. And he said, yeah, I well, know you haven't got any experience. That's why the rep are going to take you on. So then Steve Ball, he then stepped forward and said, yes, Ezran, like if you come and see me next week, um, we can talk about opportunities, about how to kind of better your skills and um, enhance your acting, basically. Wow. Um, so I did. I went and seen him. And he gave me some acting positions at the Birmingham Rep Theatre, just like that. And from there, that's when things really started to change. Um, so I have now gone from this person that was homeless, this person mm, that never had no mm, food at times, never mm, had no money at times, that was on road at times, to now this person who's an actor at the Birmingham Rep Theatre.
0: You could make a film on that.
1: I could make a film on that. <laughs> and, I know, be I well. and be the actor as <laughs> well. <laughs> I love it. Literally, literally. Um, oh, wow. So then the Prince's Trust got wind of it. So I sat down with a woman called Suki Goheo, um, who is the young ambassador um executive manager um in the west midlands and i sat down with her so i told her my story and she said okay she said how would you feel about becoming an ambassador for the prince's trust and i said yeah like i'm i'm, I'm up for that like definitely 100 percent."
0: that's incredible yeah, i think i think that's a great lesson for anyone um Um, I'm not saying necessarily you wanted to become an actor but what you did want to do is put yourself in a better situation around better people and have a better life and by you embracing that opportunity and just literally throwing yourself out there because I can only imagine how uncomfortable you must have felt coming from straight black black hoodie black jogging bottoms to a suit saying hello to people who you don't know how they're going to perceive you being overly enthusiastic spending time out of your own day going to charity places like British Heart Foundation and to put yourself in that environment and then just shine i just i just think it's amazing and, and hopefully people listen to this and think if you really want something in life and if you know what you want just go out and do it do you know what i mean don't wait don't wait for someone to give you give you the nod or the acceptance because you've got to take control of your life and you've, you've done it mate and fair play
1: to you thank you you know what it's all about self-belief um i agree i agree. you know like there's nothing more powerful than mm. self-belief nothing if you believe in yourself and you believe that you can achieve then you can if you tell yourself every single day i'm going to be a millionaire you'll Mm. be a millionaire Mm. not just because you've said it every day but because you're you're putting it out there to the universe you know you're installing that into your mindset so Mm. things that you will do from that point on will be things to make you a millionaire
0: absolutely
1: a lot of people don't believe in themselves
0: they don't and to be honest i'm guilty of it so i never believed in myself i was into podcasts about two years ago three years ago yeah and yeah. I always wanted to do it because I was, I'm always fascinated by people's stories. And I used to say certain things about my life and people find it inspiring. And it's taken me like 12 months to really have the self-belief. And you touched on something there like the millionaire thing. And it's a bit like, you know, if, for instance, you go and buy a red car, for example. You're going to see that red car everywhere. And that, they call that the reticular activation system. It's kind of some scientific term. So when you start mm. saying you're a millionaire and you start putting it out there into the universe, you're going to start seeing opportunities where you can potentially become a millionaire. You're going to be, you're exactly. going to see millionaires and millionaires, you might have a conversation with one. You might pick up some information from them through a 20 minute conversation or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Self-belief is so important, especially to inspire people and motivate them to go out there and do what they want to do. You have to believe in yourself. You have to. You
1: have to, man. You have to, because what will happen mm. is that opportunities will present themselves to you but Absolutely. you won't take them because mm. you don't believe in yourself because as you said you might feel like you're too shy or yeah. you yeah. know yeah. You've, you've got this anxiety when you're around <laughs> or, so you true. know like then is you then start to lose out on some of the things that are actually there to actually better your life things are only just started now really mm. you know to look up um as much as, you know, I had done all those things before to better myself, it's only now that the opportunities are actually coming my way. Things that I had never seen before. Now, I was doing, like, gala dinners. I was going to red carpet events. Wow. I, was, I was standing in front of corporate bosses, telling them about my life story, telling them about how the Prince's Trust has helped me. And I'm at these, I'm at these places and I'm thinking to myself, how did I even get here? Like, <laughs> it's, sometimes it's a bit unreal. Because I'll be sitting there and I'll be, I'll be remembering the people that I used to hang around with. Mm, mm. I remember the things that I used to do. I remember the hard times that I was in. The times when I was literally, I went through a depression. I was literally like, you know, I was having suicidal thoughts. Mm, mm. I, was, I was, I never thought life was worth living. You know, every day crying myself to sleep because of the situation that I was in. So I've gone from that person to now sitting down at a table around millionaires literally millionaires brilliant brilliant. corporate bosses eating lobster (laughs) yeah like literally eating lobster for my starter and all them kind of things i'm thinking like it's crazy like it's crazy how i got myself from there to there but obviously it was possible and obviously i've done it
0: well it's a self-belief and it's the process and it's the process and people forget the process and you you've had to endure it and A lot of people think they can just wish something and and it just happens in a month, in a week. Sometimes it can take five years. Sometimes it can take 10 years. I'm glad for your your sake and for the community because of the work you're doing now, it's happened quicker because now you're out there and you're able to do great things. So uh, Mm. it's it's fantastic, man. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, So it built up my confidence. Um, It built up um, the passion that I had actually because I think what was what was hindering me before was that I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. A lot of people were always like saying, okay, what do you want to do? You know, like, you know, what do you want to become? And I was always like, I actually don't know. Um, I actually don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to become. But the Prince's Trust gave me the answer. And it was from doing all those events. Cause I was doing those events and I was talking to these people, but in my mind, I was always thinking, these aren't the people that need to hear my story. It's the young people that need to Absolutely. hear my story. That's so true. And from there, I started going into schools. I was doing it for free. I was just going into schools, speaking to year groups. And I was just speaking to the young people, telling them about my story. Sometimes on a one-to-one basis, sometimes as a whole year group. Um, and the impact I was making and that I was seeing was, it was unreal. You know, Because there are a lot of young people that are going through Similar things that yeah. what I've gone through, and to be able to say to them, actually, like I went through that, but this is where I am now, and to see their face actually light up and think hope, to know but that they've so got hope that they can now, you know, that they can continue. Like mm. there was a boy that I spoke to, um, I told him my story, and it was it was during a it was during one of my talks that I do, um, and it was to the whole year group, and this boy came up to me at the end. And he he turned up to me, he came up to me and he said, Can you be my mentor? And I said, Well, yeah, like if, if you want me to. And he went, I've got a temper. And it's exactly how you describe yours. And he was like, To see, and he because he said, you know, he, he always keeps getting into bad situations and his temper keeps defining him. And I looked at him and I said, Your temper doesn't define you. I said, you know. I've got a temper. You wouldn't even yeah. believe it, but I've got a temper as well. But mm. look at where I'm standing, and now you're coming up to me asking me for help. You know, and I said you can be that person in the future. Absolutely. And and to see his face just light up, it was great, man. And, it's and the, that's it's when the I realized best myself, It is. It's the best feeling to know that you've made an impact on someone's life in a way that you never actually thought you could. You know, I, I wasn't sitting there before, and I was thinking, you know. If I speak about my temper and my anger problems, <laughs> that's, that's going to help people. Like yeah. I never
0: actually thought that that was something that could be possible. It's well deserved, given from where it you was. come from, because you could have just was. given
1: up and you could have just. I could have given up. Stayed in that life and. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and this is what people need to understand. Mm. That life that I was in before, there was only two. There was only two roads. Mm. It was either jail or death.
0: And the life you're living now, the opportunities are just. hell it's unreal to be honest this is kind of like one of my missions as well because you mentioned like temper there and just from you saying that story one person who could relate to your story you could potentially have a role and effect for his life and then he can go on and do fantastic things and the the guests that i've got on this uh podcast they're all got their own story so one of my good friends he's got blind in one eye and he inspires people because he's a boxing coach he's a fantastic person like one of the best people i know and somebody who's going through those kind of issues they might be able to relate to his story i've got somebody mm. who's surviving with cancer and they're struggling in their mindset and dealing with that so that's going to help people who are suffering with cancer so it's all about finding people who have had adversity in their life but they've they've mm. not given up they've not let the cards that they've dealt them affect them what they've done is they've played with them the best way they can and they found a way to win the game and you're at yeah. the minute you're winning and long mate continue i'm mate, winning for man. You. i'm gonna move it on a little bit now i'm a big believer that we are a result of the things we tell ourselves, but I'm also a big believer that our daily habits are really important as well. So now, if you could just tell people now, it's a day in the life of Hezron Brown?
1: A day, a day in the life of Hezron Brown. Yeah, I well, know. <laughs> you know, I need I need to be truthful to everyone. I'm not I'm not a celebrity yet. You know, yet no no yet. It's you fine, know, but it's I'm, a process. It's, and it's still and it's still it's a about. process. Mm. I'm just looking to be someone that you know these young people can look up to and. And hopefully help change some people's lives. But a life in the day of Hezron Brown is a life like everyone else. You know, I get up. Um, actually, what I one thing I do is when I when I get up, I look in the mirror for about five minutes, um, and I just stare at myself. As much as as much as, as weird as that sounds, I <laughs> no, just no, stare at myself. Yeah. I stare at myself. I put my hands on my hips, mm. and I just stare. I just stare into my face. I just stare into my eyes. Okay. And i just keep saying to myself, you're going to make it. I love you're going to make it. I love you're going to make it. Yes. And that's all I keep saying to myself. And I do it, I do it for about five minutes. I'll just stand there. Um, and that actually gives me the motivation to, to do what I need to do in the day.
0: Mm,
1: mm. Um, it, you know, if there's anything that I need to look at in like, regards to work or,
0: mm.
1: you know, if, if there's someone that I need to go and speak to, it just gives me the motivation that I need
0: it's a powerful affirmation and subconsciously you're you're strengthening your self-belief which is the reason you're doing the amazing things now so I think that that's really important this is kind of why I asked the question because somebody always has something in their routine which they might not necessarily see as an amazing thing but if some kid out there who doesn't believe in himself just simply stands up in the mirror tomorrow morning with their hands on their hips or wherever they want to put it and they just say empowering things like I am not shy, for example, or, or I am worth more. I will achieve more. I will do more for people, and they consistently yeah. say that. And it's not not just once you've got you've got to keep saying it, especially if you haven't got the self belief. They will start seeing, they will change. So, mate, that's a fantastic point. I think I think it's mm. good. I've actually got an yeah. image now because I've seen i seen what you look like, and I, I've got an image of you standing <laughs> there now. <laughs> just probably, standing, yeah, I do. I, I, I shouldn't be thinking it now because I've got black boxes and I've got you there standing, just there, standing there, in my know, boxes yeah
1: yeah but uh, <laughs> but it's empowering <laughs> and that's what I do and that's what I do but and I know it is it's it's empowering for myself as well you know for my mindset um because I said it just gives me the motivation that I need but yeah after that put my clothes on go to work um and come home eat food go to bed <laughs> well actually no that's that's like I eat food and work on work on myself again so that's good. At the moment, um, you know, when, when I said that I go into schools and colleges and people referral units, youth offending teams, prisons, um, I do my talk, but I also talk about some of the social issues that are plaguing our society as well. So I give talks on knife crime, I give talks on county lines, and I'm creating other programmes as well, um, other presentations that I can do in schools as well. So at the moment, that's what I'm doing, just trying to create those presentations, create as i said i'm just i'm just out here trying to help people so i love it in the, in the evenings i just work on myself
0: fantastic just offline we'll we'll take this conversation offline i might edit this little bit out um i was a social worker in my last life as well and i've seen the kids that have gone through the system and how hard it is and stuff so one of my big goals in life is to have a social impact change as well so mm-hmm. some something for offline because obviously you're in prince's trust I want to start a social enterprise for mental health as well. There's a lot of things that I feel that in the future we can work on to make a yeah, massive listen. difference in the world. So let's definitely let's touch... Let's let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's and go, we, man. The next question is about adversity. And I think you've pretty much touched on a hell of a lot of adversity. But if we can just go back to one example, and what I want you to do is give us the lessons that taught you and how
1: that's made you stronger today. Oh, I would say the the toughest... Like, adversity that I faced was when i was in that bed and breakfast going through that time when i never had no money i never had no food when i mean that time for me was hard i mean that time for me was hard i was 15 years old turning 16 imagine being that age having to fend for yourself literally like everything yeah and you know i remember nights literally as i said i was crying myself to sleep because i was that hungry my belly felt like it was turning inside out, wow. and I think that taught me, especially now, it taught mm. me not to take for granted things that I do. For me, yeah, that's one of the biggest things for me at the moment. Like, um, I just, I just, I just live life how I want to live life, man. I just do what I want to do, um, because as I said, I look back to those times and and I realize actually where I've come from, and you know
0: you've got a sense of gratitude now as well for anything that you take which is really important. oh
1: 100 listen you should see me when i eat food <laughs> you should you should you know eat food. we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to go food. for nando's yeah oh mate let's nah. do it listen don't you don't want to be around me with chicken oh uh, right, brilliant mate. brilliant
0: okay so the next one's a little bit um we're gonna spin it a little bit again um what's your biggest fear now
1: my biggest fear is my temper even now and me losing my temper losing that control and something bad happens which puts me back in that situation that I was in when I was younger
0: a hell of a lot to lose as well now so. and I've got
1: so I've got so much to lose like and you know when I'm I'm trying to say like I, I want to be a role model for these young people and how can I be a role model if I'm out here getting locked up for something or you know I, I, I can't be that role model that these young people need if I'm doing those if I'm doing those things and It is hard.
0: There's a guy called Inky Johnson. I don't know if you know him. He says something about, there's no point you trying to be a public success if you're a private failure. Exactly. It's so powerful because it's so easy on social media to try and portray yourself to be somebody else. Do you know what I mean? But I think you Mm. having that that in the back of your mind, knowing, hold on, these kids depend on me. You don't know who's watching you tomorrow. It could be a kid who's about to go and do the worst thing in his life. But if he sees you and he's looking at you and thinking, hold on a minute, this guy is going places, doing things that maybe I could do that. It might just completely change his trajectory of his life. Mm. On the base of that, so obviously you've got that in the back of your head. You don't want to let yourself down. You've got, you've got your little one as well. What's your What else keeps you going? What's your motivation? Is it just to now go out there and just be bigger, better, help more people?
1: Yeah, my motivation now is to get into as much schools as I can, as mm-hmm. much prisons as I can, as mm-hmm. much people referral units. Listen, I just want to get in front of as much young people as I can. and spread my story and hopefully change people's lives that's my motivation along with my kids as well as i said you know i don't i want i want my kids to grow up feeling proud of me yeah you know yeah i'm Um, sure they will be that's something that's something in my life that i've never really had you know Mm. people being proud of me Mm. um and i think as well that's something that i've tried to strive for yeah i've tried to strive to get that to get that acceptance, you know? Mm. Um, and for my kids, mainly, mostly, I just want them to be proud of me. No, you know, I love like, it. Yeah, I, I just I just want them to be happy and know, be able to say to people, you know, that's my dad, you know.
0: They will, 100%, 100%. And man to man, like, I'm proud of you for like how far you've come as well in your story. It's, it's yeah. I'm excited, yeah. mate, for you for your future. I'm, I'm genuinely excited.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for the things. Like, it's I gonna can't be wait good. for the things that are gonna come, man.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be wicked. Okay, so what we're going to do now, we're going to go into a quick fire round of 60 seconds and we're going to put Hezron through his paces. We're going to ask him as many questions as possible. So if you're ready, we're going to start in three, two, one. Okay, the ability to fly or be invisible. Ability to fly. Money or fame? Mm, Money. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Pepsi. Would you rather know how you would die or when you would die? Oh, when I would die. Love or money? Love. Books or movies? Movies if you could sit with one person in the world for an hour who would it be my kids i love that what is your biggest addiction
1: my be- oh, biggest addiction oh, mm. food
0: summer or winter summer your favorite place in the world my bed <laughs> speak all languages or be able to speak to animals
1: speak all languages
0: your favorite song i don't have one the last song you listen to uh,
1: michael jackson thriller.
0: okay love it your favorite superhero <laughs> Superman. If you could abolish one thing in the world, what would it be?
1: All badness.
0: Love it, love it. Okay, time's up. So now we have finished that round. We're gonna move over straight back into the interview section of the show. So the next question, Ezra, it's about reflection. So hindsight's a wonderful thing, and upon reflection, we can always think of ways to get to where we are currently quicker, easier, or with less heartache. But I guess the journey teaches us a lot, especially your journey as well. And I've got a real belief that everything happens for a reason. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. So what I want to know is if you could go back in time to one moment where you really struggled, let's, let's take that bed and breakfast example and suffered with that adversity, being hungry in that moment, and you could just whisper something into your ear, knowing what you know now and where you're going now, what would it be?
1: Stay strong. Mm. Literally, stay strong. Because um, I said that was something that I always... And I struggled with, man, when I mean mm. like, you know, I was having those suicidal thoughts. I was having some real suicidal thoughts, you know. Um, and if I could go back then and, you know, speak to myself, I would just say, "Hezwan, stay strong. Mm. Don't cry. Mm-hmm. Just stay strong. Stay on the path. Mm. Um, I wish I had done this stuff earlier. But, you know, one thing that I always say to people is, I'm glad that I've lived the life that I have. People always always say to me like, oh, if you could go back in time, would you change? Would Mm. you change anything? No, I wouldn't. No, no. And if anything, I'd probably do it worse. Because because now I have the story.
0: Now I'm able to sit
1: down and speak to people. I can sit down and speak to, well, I have. I've sat down and spoken to older people. Mm. about things that they thought I would never know nothing about. Mm. But Mm. I'm able to sit down and speak with them because of what I've been through. So
0: sadly, that brings us to the last question. And the last question I always like to ask my guests is, if in 150 years' time, we're all dead because science hasn't managed to save us. And all that's left is one book. And that book is based on your life, about you telling the world who Hezron Brown really was. What I want to know is what that blurb would say, and then I'm just going to add a little question at the end is, what would you call it as well?
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to probably call it The Struggle is Real. Of it. That's probably what I would call it. The Struggle is Real. So if anyone's out there who's listening that can uh, write a book for me, then yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what the title would be. The Struggle is Real. Um, yeah. I think the blurb would... Oh, the blurb. I found, oh the. I feel like the blurb would just have to be something like, you know, this is a man. Like, you have to say it in a voice as well. Like, you can't can't just do it like normally. It has to be like in a voice, like, you know. Okay. Like a Liam Neeson kind of voice. I'm going to try it. I don't think it's going to be successful. Let's go. Let's go. This is a man. Nah 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 that was good <laughs> that was good, that was good. That, 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 <laughs> I nah, nah. like it I, like I don't it. know where that came from man oh. that, I don't know where that I don't know what that was but Listen, yeah that, that's better. your acting skills <laughs> I love it <laughs> I don't know something like you know this is a man that after facing hard times changed and became a better man through the love of his kids and through the love of what he wanted to do for society
0: I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it. But it would have sounded better with the Liam Neeson voice. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. (laughs) We'll have to get that done. That's brilliant. That brings us to basically the end of the show. So what I normally do now as well is I ask people to reach out to you if you wouldn't mind. And I think your story is one that's going to inspire thousands of people. So I've got you on Twitter, but I know you've just started that. Have you got any other social media platforms?
1: Yeah, like I'm on Facebook. Um, Okay. um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn as well um it's it's hezron brown on on most of them i think on twitter it's hezron brown 90
0: um okay fantastic fantastic what i'll also do is i'll put all these links to Hezron's social media in the show notes so if anyone wants to reach out please do check the show notes and you'll find everything and as always thanks for listening And remember, this podcast is absolutely free. So all we ask in return is for you to share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on iTunes. Have an awesome day.